President Trump dumps his Secretary of Homeland Security. Democrats compete to shore up their woke credentials. And the Israeli election is in the home stretch. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Welcome back. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Guys, I'm so excited to be here this week. I mean, there's a lot going on this week and there's a lot in the news. We'll get to all of it. Thanks, by the way, for people who continue to buy The Right Side of History, which continues to soar on the bestseller charts. Number three on New York Times bestseller chart this week in its second week after being number one in its first week continues to be at the top of the Amazon charts as well. Go pick up a copy of The Right Side of History. We're going to get to all the news in just because there's a lot of news that is breaking. First, let us talk about the fact that you could be healthier. Well, how could you be healthier? Well, one of the things that you could be doing is making sure that you get your daily dose of vitamins, the stuff that you actually need. Vitamins and supplements can be confusing. Persona takes the guesswork out of it. Here's how it works. You take a three to five minute assessment to find out exactly what you need. You get recommendations based on your goals, lifestyle, allergies, special diets, and prescription medications. And then you get convenient vitamin packets delivered to your door every single month. You can certainly find cheaper vitamins, but you'd have to pay 30% more to get the same quality in a bottled vitamin. This is the best value you can find. Persona checks for over 850 medications against their database of supplements they can recommend to ensure no negative interactions. They offer over 90 different supplements, creating 5 trillion possible combinations to personalize your recommendation specifically for you. Persona is always updating their questions and recommendations as new science comes out. They have the knowledge of four doctors, not just one, to help them stay cutting edge. Your personalized supplements are then put into packs divided by time of day. So supplements that help each other absorb are together. Ones that shouldn't be taken together are for another time of day. That also means your energy supplements can be taken in the morning, your sleep supplements at bedtime, which is pretty clever. Right now, whether you want to sleep better, have more energy, or simply stay as young as you can, my listeners can go to personanutrition.com slash Shapiro. That's P-E-R-S-O-N-A, nutrition.com slash Shapiro. Get 50% off your order today. Solid deal. Personanutrition.com slash Shapiro. It's five minutes that can change your health. Personanutrition.com slash Shapiro. It's really clever, and obviously, they're doing a good job on the medical side, so go check them out. Personanutrition.com slash Shapiro. Get 50% off your order at this very moment. Okay, so over the weekend, the big breaking news, the Secretary of Homeland Security is out. That'd be Kirsten Nielsen. This had been coming for quite a while. There was unease with her inside high centers of the administration. And it was sort of unclear why. And I sort of feel bad for Christian Nielsen because she did the best that she could with a policy and an administration that is really divided on immigration. President Trump wants to be incredibly harsh on the border. But then every time there's a bad story on the border, he immediately shies away from the bad story on the border. And that puts people like Christian Nielsen in a really difficult position. Because he'll say to her, okay, I want a zero tolerance approach on the border. And she'll say, all right, well, you know what that means? That means we're going to arrest people. And under current law, that means we then have to release the kids to family members because we can't actually keep the kids in custody under a Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling. We're just not allowed to do that under the Flores settlement. And so President Trump will be like, okay, do it. So she'll do it. And then there are a bunch of stories about family separation. And then he'll say, you know, this is really bad press. Let's not do that anymore. And then she says, well, that really only leaves us with one option, which is catch and release. And he says, okay, do it. And then there's catch and release for a while. And then there's a bunch of blowback from the right saying, why are we just picking these people up at the border and then releasing them to the interior? And then Trump is like, well, I don't like that either. This is bad. We need to be harsher at the border. The problem is that there are two serious issues at the border. One is the state of the border law. There are real problems with border law in the sense that right now under the Flores settlement, if you arrest a family that is coming across the border, you cannot hold the kids in custody with the parents. And that means that you have to release the parents or you have to separate the parents from the kids. That is a problem that is currently implicit in the law, and that can be changed by Congress. That's something that the president 
should be working with Congress to change. Either the kids should be kept with the parents or they should be immediately deported, right? That, that those should be, it should not be that we have to release illegal immigrants into the interior of the country to deal with the fact that they have kids. This is not a solution for the kids. It's not a solution for the parents. It's not a solution for the country. That is problem number one. Problem number two is that we do not have sufficient funding to take care of all the people crossing the border. We spoke last week with one of the chiefs of border patrol down in the San Diego sector on our radio show. And he was saying that they are simply overwhelmed. Tens of thousands of people crossing the border. There's no place to put them. Congress has not allocated the funding. And that means that they have no choice but to catch and release. Well, President Trump is not famous for the buck stopping at his desk. Usually the buck stops at everyone else's desk. It's, it's one of the really negative parts about this White House is that if you work for Trump, there is a very good shot that you get stabbed in the back at some point. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but the reality is working in this White House is a very difficult job. It is an unrewarding job. It is one where the, the press will try to savage you. Christian Nielsen's on her way out now. There are already members of the press saying she should never be hired again because she worked as Secretary of Homeland Security under Donald Trump. And any corporation that hires her is going to be subjected to the rage of the mainstream media. And people were tweeting this out yesterday, that basically her life should be ruined. You've heard them say the same about people like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, that after Huckabee Sanders leaves the administration at some point, or if the administration comes to an end, then she should be forbidden from working in the, in the public sector. You, you see this in the private sector. You see the same thing with people who used to work for President Trump, like Sean Spicer. Once they are out, then they are persona non grata among the general public and the media don't want them anywhere near anything that even remotely approaches power in the private sector. So it is unrewarding to work there because the president is very likely to blame you for stuff that he himself is responsible for because he has no coherent policy. And second, when you are ousted, then you don't, it's not like you get the gratitude of a nation for having served your country. Instead, it turns into you serve that bad guy, Trump. We're going to make sure you never work again in this town. So you, you got to feel a little bit bad for Christian Nielsen, even if you don't like how she has performed as Secretary of Homeland Security. And again, I, I fail to see how she has wildly underperformed as Secretary of Homeland Security, like what she could have done that should have been done extraordinarily differently without President Trump's approval. The New York Times reports Christian Nielsen, the Homeland Security Secretary, resigned on Sunday after meeting with President Trump, ending a tumultuous tenure in charge of the border security agency that had made her the target of the president's criticism. I've determined that it is the right time for me to step aside, Nielsen said in a resignation letter. I hope that the next secretary will have the support of Congress and the courts in fixing the laws which have impeded our ability to fully secure America's borders and which have contributed to discord in our nation's discourse. Nielsen had requested the meeting to plan a way forward at the border, in part thinking she could have a reasoned conversation with Trump about the role, according to three people familiar with the meeting. She came prepared with a list of things that needed to change to improve the relationship with the president. Trump in recent weeks had asked Nielsen to close the ports of entry along the border and to stop accepting as asylum seekers, which Nielsen found ineffective and inappropriate. And again, I'm not sure that she is wrong about this. Closing the ports of entry along the border was specifically designed, presumably, to reshift resources, to allocate resources from the ports of entry to the areas between the ports of entry where 90% of people are trying to, to cross. But the issue there, Nielsen was saying, is when people cross the border, the vast majority of them are looking for border patrol agents to turn themselves into so that they can claim asylum. So stop accepting asylum seekers means that you will actually be encouraging people to avoid border patrol agents and they will simply continue crossing because there's a shortage at the border and they won't turn themselves in to border patrol agents, which means no ankle monitors, no keeping track of them. And if you close the ports of entry, it is difficult to do that and still maintain open commerce. You could do it theoretically, but practically speaking, apparently this is quite difficult. While the 30-minute meeting was cordial, Trump was determined to ask for her resignation. After the meeting, she submitted it. 
The move came just two days after Trump, who has repeatedly expressed anger at a rise in migrants at the southern border, withdrew his nominee to run Immigrations and Customs Enforcement because he wanted the agency to go in a tougher direction. Trump has ratcheted up his anti-immigration message in recent months as he seeks to galvanize supporters before the 2020 election, shutting down the government and then declaring a national emergency to secure funding to build a border wall, cutting aid to Central American countries and repeatedly denouncing what he believes is a crisis of migrants trying to enter the country. He tweeted on Sunday night after Nielsen departed. He tweeted, quote, our country is full, which is, in fact, a different message than the message that he was saying in February, where he suggested that we wanted to have wide doors for immigration. Right? It was going to be a, a big wall with big doors is the way that he put it. Nielsen said she planned to stay on as secretary through Wednesday in order to assist with an orderly transition. The abruptness was unusual because DHS does not have a deputy secretary who would normally take the reins. The president said in a tweet that Kevin McAleenan, the commissioner of Customs and Border Protection, would take over as acting replacement for Nielsen. By law, the undersecretary for management, Claire Grady, is next in line to be acting secretary. The White House would have to fire her to make Mr. McAleenan acting secretary. People familiar with the transition said Grady says that she has no intention of resigning. Some of the people who are being looked at for DHS include Ken Cuccinelli, the former Virginia attorney general, who fits the profile, apparently. And Nielsen has been pressured by Trump to be more aggressive in stemming the influx of migrant crossings at the border. Her entire time in the job was spent battling back suspicion from the president, even as he told people how he liked how she performed on television and enjoyed dealing with her personally. Apparently, he was skeptical of her because she had served under W and also because she was close to John Kelly, who Trump basically got rid of, that former chief of staff. The president called Nielsen at home early in the morning to demand that she take action to stop migrants from entering the country, including doing things that were clearly illegal, such as blocking all migrants from seeking asylum, which you cannot do. But if somebody crosses the border and they find a border patrol agent, they do have the legal ability to seek asylum. You can't just say, sorry, didn't hear you. Sorry, guys. Nope. Nope. What would you say? (laughs) You can't really do that to people who are crossing the border and seeking asylum, nor Frankly, do we want that? Because there are people legitimately seeking political asylum in the United States. It is a long entrenched part of both our law and culture that people who are seeking political asylum should at least be heard out. She repeatedly noted limitations imposed on her department by federal laws, court settlements, and international obligations. Apparently, this really pissed off Trump. The president's fury erupted in the spring of 2018 as Nielsen hesitated for weeks about whether to sign a memo ordering the routine separation of migrant children from their families so that the parents could be detained. And again, she was hesitating because... Trump was hesitating. If you don't recall at the time, it wasn't like Trump was full-scale go. Trump puts his people out there very often, and then he lets them take the bullet. And it's not just Secretary of Homeland Security. He did this to his own Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, just in the last couple of weeks. We discussed it on the show. He pushed a budget that included in it a defunding of the Special Olympics. And Betsy DeVos dutifully did what she was supposed to do. She went out there and she defended the budget, cutting money for the Special Olympics. And then Trump decided on the spur of the moment he didn't like the media coverage, And he went out publicly and said, you know what? We're putting that back in, funding for the Special Olympics. And there is Betsy DeVos left out there on the end of the branch and Trump grinning and sawing off the branch behind her. It's very difficult to work for this president. In a cabinet meeting surrounded by her peers, Trump castigated her repeatedly, leading her to draft a resignation letter and to tell colleagues there was no reason for her to lead the department any longer. By the end of the week, she had reconsidered it and remained in her position, becoming an increasingly fierce supporter of his policies, including the family separations. And again, That's her reflecting the boss. Trump was split, and then Trump said, I'm not split anymore. And she said, okay, well, if that's her policy, that's your policy. Apparently, Trump and Stephen Miller, the president's top immigration advisor, have privately but regularly complained about Nielsen. Lou Dobbs has also encouraged Trump's negative view of her handling of the migrant crisis, according to the New York Times. 
Nielsen lost a powerful protector when John Kelly, her mentor, was fired at the beginning of the year. Multiple White House officials said she had grown deeply paranoid in recent months after numerous stories about her job being on the line. She had also supported the ICE nominee, Ronald Vitiello, that Trump just withdrew. Apparently, in early 2019, as the number of migrant families from Central American countries surged, the president's fury at Miss Nielsen did too. He repeatedly demanded she cut off foreign aid to Central American countries, though the funding was the responsibility of the State Department, and she deflected his demands because she doesn't have the power to do that. One day after Nielsen traveled to Honduras to sign a regional compact with officials from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, Trump cut State Department funding for the countries. In recent days, the president made public moves to undercut her authority, leaking news he might nominate an immigration czar to assume oversight of the issue at the heart of Nielsen's department. Now, the media is trying to suggest that Nielsen had some sort of real difference of mind with President Trump. It's not that. It's that Trump has a difference of mind with Trump. Trump is all over the place on this issue. It makes it very difficult for his people to serve honorably in his administration. It's a serious problem. It is a serious problem. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, Warm weather season is basically here. Luckily, Tommy John, the most comfortable underwear on the planet, has the fabrics you need to stay cool, dry, adjustment-free. They've got so many new arrivals, prints, colors, patterns. You've got options this summer. Head on over to TommyJohn.com for all of their life-changing products. Both Tommy John's men's and women's underwear support a no-wedgie guarantee, comfortable stay-put waistbands, a range of fabrics that are luxuriously soft, designed to move with you, not against you. Not only does Tommy John have ridiculously soft loungewear for around the house, but they have all-new, insanely soft second-skin polo shirts, reinventing casual comfort for guys who want to feel as great as they look. And for ladies, they've got the new air collection. It's made from lightweight, breathable fabric with seamlessly bonded edges. Tommy John is so sure you're going to love the fit and feel. It's all backed by their best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. That means if you don't love that first pair, you get a full refund. Tommy John, no adjustment needed. Hurry on over to TommyJohn.com slash Ben right now to get 20% off your first order. That is TommyJohn.com slash Ben for 20% off TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Go check them out. It's not just their underwear that are fantastic. They've got all this other clothing for summer that is just as great. Go check them out right now. TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Get 20% off your first order when you do. Okay, so as I say, a lot of the president's defenders are going to say that Christian Nielsen was doing something deeply wrong here. He appointed her. This is the same sort of shtick we saw with former Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Trump appointed Jeff Sessions. One of the reasons he appointed Jeff Sessions is because Jeff Sessions was tough on crime. He was tough on drugs. He was tough on illegal immigration. And then Trump decided he didn't like him. And then instead of capping him, he kept him around for a couple of years. And then he let Sessions quietly sort of resign, sort of quit, sort of be fired. You see that with the, this president. He does this all the time. He goes after his own subordinates. Well, when you are the leader of a company or a country, when you're the leader of an administration, which effectively is just a company, the buck stops with you. That means you have to make the decisions about whether people are doing their jobs or not. And if you are randomly shifting, if you're driving, if you're careening all over the road like Beta O'Rourke on an off night, then it's going to be very difficult for the people in the back of the car to take credit for what exactly is going on. Trump's the guy with his hand on the steering wheel, not Christian Nielsen. So if you don't like the policy, that one stops at the top. Apparently, Nielsen never learned how to manage Trump. People familiar with their discussion said he often felt lectured to by Miss Nielsen, which, again, is difficult because the president, I, I hate, the president doesn't know things. OK, he doesn't. He just has gut instincts. And sometimes that's OK because people around him are able to mitigate his harder edges and they're able to boost the stuff about him that's good. But it means that he is in constant conflict with the people around him. He's like a billiard ball just moving around that table. Apparently, Jared Kushner didn't like Nielsen. That came to a head recently as Kushner had inserted himself into the immigration discussions. Now, that's kind of odd because Kushner is not a hardliner when it comes to immigration. Kushner is much softer on illegal immigration. Remember, Kushner is also the guy behind the First Step Act. So the fact is that if you really believe 
that Nielsen was ousted for being too soft on immigration, what does Kushner have to do with anything? Trump often blamed Nielsen for the surge in migrant crossings, but the truth is that the widespread perception of her is that she was very harsh on illegal immigration. And that is her, that, that's going to be the perception of her after she leaves. So here is her letter. She issued a letter about all of this upon leaving. And here is, here is what she said. She said, Mr. President, I hereby resign from the position of Secretary of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, effective April 7th, 2019. It has been my great honor to lead the men and women of the department as its sixth secretary. I could not be prouder of and more humbled by their service, dedication, and commitment to keep our country safe from all threats and hazards. I join all Americans in thanking them for their sacrifices and those of their families. I am immensely proud of our successes in transforming DHS to keep pace with our enemies and adversaries, whether it is in cyberspace or against emerging threats from new technologies. Despite our progress in reforming Homeland Security for a new age, I have determined that it is the right time for me to step aside. I hope the next secretary will have the full support of Congress and the courts in fixing the laws which have impeded our ability to fully secure America's borders and which have contributed to discord in our nation's discourse. Our country and the men and women of DHS deserve to have all the tools and resources they need to execute the mission entrusted to them. I can say with confidence our homeland is safer today than when I joined the administration. We have taken unprecedented action to protect Americans. We have implemented historic efforts to defend our border, combat illegal immigration, obstruct the inflow of drugs, and uphold our laws and values. We have responded decisively to record-breaking natural disasters and helped Americans rebuild. And she concludes, thank you again for the privilege to serve the American people and to lead the outstanding men and women of the Department of Homeland Security. Supporting these patriots has been the honor of a lifetime. Sincerely, Christian Nielsen. Now, as I say, the media are already jumping into she should never have another job, and it's really disgusting. Hey, Christian Nielsen has really not done anything here to earn the ire of the media in this way. She's enforcing the laws on the books. The laws suck. This is the problem. There are not the resources at the border necessary, and that is partly due to the media coverage of these issues. It was the media that declared for months on end there was no crisis at the border. Then the government shutdown ends, and suddenly there's a crisis at the border. The media paid very little attention when Barack Obama was implementing family separations, and then when Trump did it, suddenly it was Trump's fault, when the reality is it's the Flores settlement and the Ninth Circuit's fault. All of this is media malfeasance, and Kirsten Nielsen has very little to do with this. I think she's a functionary, and I think she was a functionary trying to do the best that she could, and I think that she was ousted because the best that she could apparently wasn't good enough, but I failed to see where she was impeding Trump's agenda in any serious way, where Trump said, do X, and she said, I'm not doing X, and so he said, okay, you're fired. I don't see that at all here. I see a bunch of different statements and policies coming out of the White House. Trump himself doesn't know beyond sort of the broad outlines of what he wants, how he wants to implement. And he's not willing to take the hit when the bad press comes in. Now, again, I think this is aided and abetted by a media that wish to polarize a debate that really should not be polarized. We should all be on the same side of this immigration debate. We want to make sure that the people who are coming here are both treated humanely and deported if they do not have a legal claim to be here. And that should be done expeditiously. It should be done forthwith. Families should not be separated in that process. Right? I think we all have the same basic priorities on all of this. But the way the media have played this has led to the polarization of an issue which really should not be polarized. I think there is broad American consensus that we do not want an open border. I think there is broad American consensus that an open border is a bad idea. And despite the more woke members of the Democratic Party, I think even mainstream Democrats are not interested in, in, a, in an open border. I mean, Bernie Sanders is basically saying this, right? Bernie Sanders is, believe it or not, one of the saner Democrats on the issue of the border. Here's the senator, the socialist senator from Vermont and current frontrunner for the Democratic nomination saying, you can't have open borders, guys. How would you deal with the social services connected with 
uh, opening the borders, such as health care, med medical care, and who uh, do you think is suggesting opening the borders? Well, um, that you're an activist for opening for. No, I'm not. I'm afraid you may be getting your information wrong. That is not my view. Okay, I apologize. Thank you. Okay. I think what we need is comprehensive immigration reform. That is not simply, you're, you're quite right. If, you, if your point is you open the borders, my God, you know, there's a lot of poverty in this world, and you're going to have people from all over the world. And I, I, I don't think that's something that we can do at this point. Can't do it. So that is not my position. Okay, so uh, again, that, that is Bernie being reasonable. We're all basically on the same page here, but the media have deliberately gone out of their way to make sure that we are not on the same page. I will give you an example. So there's a, a video that went around over the weekend by some account called Mark Mobility. I don't know who the hell Mark Mobility is. He suddenly, he put out, he put out a video that he cobbled together from C-SPAN. And then he tweeted out, Donald Trump on people asking for asylum. These aren't people, these are animals. This video that was retweeted by him currently has 55.2 million views. 55.2 million views. Here is the video that he put out. We have people coming into the country or trying to come in. We're stopping a lot of them. But we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals. And we're taking them out of the country at a level and at a rate that's never happened before. Okay, so that is the clip. That is 55.2 million views. And it led people like Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, who's getting his kind of current media bump, to tweet out, you do not refer to human beings as animals. You just don't. Which is weird, because legitimately, like two weeks ago, Ilhan Omar referred to President Trump as an animal. But there's something bigger here. And that is that Trump didn't refer to people seeking asylum as animals. He referred to members of MS-13 as animals. Here's the entire clip. We'll take care of it, Margaret. Thank you. Why we'll, would there we'll be an MS-13 gang member I know about? If they don't reach a certain threshold, I cannot tell ICE about them. Yeah. We have people coming into the country or trying to come in. We're stopping a lot of them. But we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals. Okay, that is exactly right. Okay, I'm sorry, MS-13, their, their actual motto is what, rape, kidnap, kill? I mean, they legitimately are evil human beings. And this was taken out of context deliberate to, deliberately to make it look like Trump was dehumanizing people, normal people who are coming across that border, families coming across the border. And the problem is that Trump then reacts to that sort of slander by, in knee-jerk fashion, knocking off his own officials. There is a way for President Trump to deal with these accusations. There's a way for President Trump to, to weaponize this issue, but he is not doing it properly. I'll explain in just one second. First, let's talk about you looking like something out of a James Bond movie. The fact is that you are wearing an ugly suit. Okay, I hate to break it to you, your suit's ugly. You need a better suit. How can you get a better suit? Well, you should have a suit that is tailored to you. You think James Bond just goes buy something off the rack? Of course not. He goes to Indochino probably, or he should if he were a real person living in real life. Indochino is the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. If you're in the middle of planning a wedding, they have tons of options but for those looking to outfit their wedding party. I love the wide selection of high-quality fabrics and colors to choose from, not to mention the option to personalize the details, including your lapel, lining, pockets, buttons. You can write your own monogram on it. Here's how it works. You can either visit a stylist at one of their showrooms. Indochino has 40 showrooms in North America. They'll take your measurements personally. I've done this over in Santa Monica. It's a blast. Or you can measure at home and shop online at Indochino.com. Choose your fabric inside and out. You can design the customizations. And then you simply submit your measurements with your choices online and relax while your suit gets professionally tailored and mailed to you 
in a couple of weeks. This week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just 359 bucks at Indochino.com when you enter Shapiro at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free. Indochino.com, promo code Shapiro. Any premium suit, just 359 bucks, which is better than off the rack, and free shipping. That is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Look better. Go check out Indochino.com and use that promo code Shapiro to get the special deal and let them know that we sent you. All right, so how should President Trump deal with all of this? President Trump should say, look, we're all on the same page here. We need changes to the law. Democrats are not providing changes to the law. None of us want people at the border to suffer. We also don't want open immigration. Give me the resources I need. If you do not give me the resources that I need, I have no choice but to implement certain policies, such as we are going to be, we are going to be, using the resources that are necessary to us to hold families together. And if the court and if the court tries to intervene, that's just the way that it's going to be. Judicial supremacy is not a thing. The court does not get to decide how the executive branch acts this way. We are not going to start catching and releasing just because the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is unwilling to do this. If, if you say we have to separate families, then I guess that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals can own that. I guess that we can separate families if we want to abide by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decision but we are not going to do catch and release. We're just not going to. And don't blame that on me. Blame that on the court. Blame that on the Democrats who won't solve this problem, who won't change the law. I'm not going to release millions of people into the interior of the country. I'm not going to release tens of thousands of people into the interior of the country without knowing where they are. This is not a policy I'm going to pursue. And we are going to ensure. I'm going to go down and I'm going to visit with the kids of the parents. I want to make sure that they are taken care of. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to stand on the border every day and make this into an issue. I'm going to campaign on the fact that there is a crisis at the southern border and they won't give us funding. But instead, because President Trump doesn't he's not willing to weather some bad headlines and then use those bad headlines as evidence that the Democrats don't know what they're doing and are actively obstructing policies that help the United States. Instead, we end up with this internecine warfare inside the administration, which, again, I, I don't know what he thinks Chris Kobach is going to do if he were suddenly the head of DHS. I don't know what he thinks Stephen Miller can do that Christian Nielsen couldn't. I guess now they are discussing the possibility of renewed child separation policies. According to NBC News, Trump has for months urged his administration to reinstate large-scale separation of migrant families crossing the border. Trump's outgoing Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nielsen resisted. And the reason she resisted, presumably, is because last time this happened, Trump turned on his own people and said, why are we doing all of this? According to two of the sources, Nielsen told Trump that federal court orders prohibited the Department of, Secur of Homeland Security from reinstating the policy and that he would be reversing his own executive order from June that ended family separations, which, of course, is true. So it is confusion inside the policy that is the problem, not consistency of policy. Again, if the president sets a consistent policy and his own people don't follow it, then they should go. Then they should go. But if he's just all over the place, all he's doing is demonstrating a chaotic approach to an issue and letting the Democrats off the hook, because this one really is on the Democrats. We could solve this thing if we changed the law and provided the funding necessary to Border Patrol. We really could. Meanwhile, the Democrats continue to get their woke credentials in order. So over the weekend, the Democrat 2020 candidates continue to push as far left as humanly possible, led by Stacey Abrams. So Abrams has not declared. I'm not sure whether she actually intends to or whether she's just going to sit out there lobbying for a VP slot. It's pretty amazing for a woman who legitimately lost a race in Georgia, and her highest office has been the Georgia House of Representatives, to think so highly of herself that she thinks she can run for president and win. But who the hell knows? Maybe she can. Now she is out there in public saying on MSNBC that Georgia's abortion law, which protects babies in the womb after a heartbeat is detected, she is saying that abortion law is evil. That's how extreme the Democrats are on these issues. 
I think Georgia has to realize that while we are enjoying an extraordinary boom in the film industry, there's nothing that says it has to stay here. And we have to be a state that is not only friendly to business, we've got to be friendly to the women who work in these businesses. You should not have to worry about your ability to control your bodily autonomy because of the governor has pushed such an abominable and evil bill that is so restrictive. It's not only bad for morality and our humanity, it's bad for business. It's bad for morality and humanity. I'm sure it's bad for Planned Parenthood's business. This is how extreme Democrats are on the issue of abortion. Abortion until point of birth. And if you pass a bill trying to protect babies after a heartbeat is detected, then this makes you evil. I mean, that is a, a pretty reversed morality. But I guess this is where the Democratic Party currently is. And then you have Bernie Sanders. And Bernie comes out over the weekend and he says, you know what? It shouldn't just be that if you are a, a prior criminal and you have cleared your record, that now you should be able to vote again. You've done your time. Now you get to vote again. Bernie says felons should be able to vote while they are in prison. While they are in prison. So you murder somebody, you should still be able to vote while you are in prison. You defrauded the government. You embezzled from the government. You should be able to vote while you're in prison, according to Bernie Sanders. We got two million people in jail in this country. And a number of them are in jail for felonies. Uh, many states say, okay, we're putting you away for a long period of time. You're going to pay a heavy price for that. But we're also taking away your right to participate in a democratic society. You can't vote anymore. People who have felonies should be able to vote. And I strongly supported that in my state. What we do is separate. You're paying a price. You committed a crime, you're in jail. That's bad. But you're still living in American society and you have a right to vote. I believe in that. Yes, I do. This is, that's insane. I'm sorry. That's crazy. You're an actual felon. And he's saying, while you're in jail, you have the right to vote? While you're in jail? Um, you know, I, I'm somewhat of a fan of Kantian ethics. I, I, I do not know how you have the categorical imperative applied here. Let's assume that everybody who's a criminal, that the criminals got to decide who would actually be in charge of the government. You think they might vote to relax so for politicians who pledge to relax some of the criminal laws? Like, this is insane. <laughs> I mean, they're now proposing that we lower the voting age to 16 and let all the criminals vote. I can't imagine how this will go wrong, guys. I think this is all going to be great. Man, Bernie Sanders, that guy's the front runner for the Democratic nomination. It's wild. Even the so-called moderates in the Democratic Party are not, in fact, moderates. Tim Ryan, who is a congressperson from Ohio, from an extraordinarily blue-collar district, he should be running on the principle that he's going to be a pragmatist and a centrist and he's going to be able to bring everybody together in the name of blue collar folks everywhere. Instead, he's out there mirroring the Bernie Sanders Medicare for all routine. I've been a supporter of single payer, but I think if we can get it. But you also it down, support the Affordable Care Act. I did because that was moving the ball down the field. Uh, that was providing more health care for more people, making it more affordable. So you want so both. If we, I'm sorry. You, you want both options. How does that work? Well, when you're sitting there negotiating, I can't negotiate with you right now with the House and the Senate and the White House, but I want more people to have more affordable coverage. I want there to be some kind of public option where middle class people who work hard and pay by the rules can get some help so they're not getting squeezed by the pharmaceutical companies and the healthcare companies. That's what I want. I do love that Tim Ryan is now openly admitting it. I'm old enough to remember when the proponents of Obamacare said, no, this isn't the first step toward nationalized health care. And we were like, yeah, you guys are lying. Well, it turns out they were lying, and now they're sort of admitting that they were lying. Now, I will say that the, the worst statement of the weekend was not even made by Bernie Sanders, who says felons should be able to vote while they are in prison, or Stacey Abrams, who says that abortion laws that protect the unborn are evil. 
The worst statement of the weekend in its own way was Pete Buttigieg, the, the mayor of South Bend, who I've found to be an interesting candidate with interesting ideas. We've invited him on the Sunday special. He initially expressed interest, and then he started to gain in the polls, and now it's like, well, I won't touch people across the aisle with a 10-foot pole. In any case, uh, I have to show you what Pete Buttigieg said, because it is a, a polarizing statement that I think will be largely ignored. We'll get to that in just a second. First, you have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. When you subscribe, you get so many goodies. I mean, we work our fingers to the bone over here for you, our subscribers. For $9.99 a month, you get not only the rest of this show live, you also get an additional two hours of the show every single afternoon. You get to ask us questions, not only in the mailbag, but sometimes during the show, we take live questions during the breaks. Also, you get our Sunday special on Saturday. So you could have seen our fantastic Sunday special with Andrew Yang, 2020 Democratic candidate. You could have seen that on Saturday and seen the material behind the paywall. I mean, there, there's all sorts of great stuff that happens when you subscribe. And for $99 a year, you also get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels. Look at it. That leftist here, it's hot or cold tumbler. Feel the power course through you when you actually hold the leftist here's hot or cold tumbler. Anyone who has one can tell you how wonderful it is, how it is their most prized possession, how some have traded their, their kidneys for this sort of thing. Well, you don't have to. All you have to do is pay $99 a year, which is cheaper than the monthly subscription, and go check that out right now. We have all sorts of great stuff that is coming for you too, like additional benefits for subscribers that we are working on. Can't tell, them, tell you about them yet. I can tell you they are awesome. All of that is coming soon, so go subscribe. Also, go check us out at YouTube. Go check us out at iTunes. Make sure that you download our Sunday specials because those are really, really good. And we have some great ones that are coming up in the very near future. So go check all that stuff out. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Well, as with immigration, there's, there's a tendency right now in politics to generate false, false polarization that doesn't really exist based on castigation of people's character. So President Trump is obviously an evil man because he wants to shut down the border. This is the perspective of the left, that he doesn't want illegal immigration. This means he's mean and cruel and terrible, whereas Barack Obama was wonderful and open-minded when he was keeping kids in cages, as folks on the left like to say about President Trump. Well, Pete Buttigieg has been a, some, a more attractive candidate than a lot of the Democratic candidates, specifically because he hasn't done this, because he has suggested that people in the middle of the country who don't buy into the far-left agenda may not be monsters, because he has said, yeah, you know what, I disagree with the founder of Chick-fil-A, but I'll still eat their chicken. And that was like the most sane thing anyone has said in this entire presidential election cycle. Well, he basically threw that over yesterday. He was talking about evangelical Christians, and he said any evangelical Christian who votes for Trump is violating their religion, which is somewhat rich coming from a guy who believes in abortion until point of birth. Right? This is somebody who believes in the idea that a man is not a man and a woman is not a woman. He believes in the, in the sort of transgender rights agenda. And Buttigieg is, is not exactly famous for believing in traditional Judeo-Christian moral standards when it comes to things like abortion. Here he was talking about his own life. And after castigating evangelicals as being bad Christians, which he's been doing the last couple of weeks, he then suggests that evangelicals have an outsized hatred of Buttigieg because he's gay, which is absurd. I've seen none of this from the right, like legitimately none. But here he is going after Mike Pence and attributing motives to Mike Pence that do not exist. I want to talk about this for a second because I think it's important. When I was younger, I would have done anything to not be gay. If you had offered me a pill to make me straight, I would have swallowed it before you had time to give me a sip of water. Thank God there was no pill. The thing I wish the Mike Pence's of the world would understand, that if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. Okay, so this is just, it's such a, a way to malign Mike Pence. Mike Pence has been dealing with gay people like his entire career. This idea that Mike Pence sits around at night and thinks about the bad gays. Where are you getting this? 
Legitimately, where are you getting this? And it's always confusing to me when purportedly religious people and especially secular people somehow put it on religious people that religious people sit around all the time fulminating about the gays. That's not the case. That's simply not the case. The argument that Buddha Judge is making there, by the way, is an irreligious argument. The argument that he is making in there is because he has a biological drive to be gay, which is something that I fully accept, by the way, that the that the that homosexual orientation is largely, if not entirely, genetic. I'm totally fine with that idea. I don't think that the science proves that it is entirely genetic. It is a combination of environmental factors and biological factors. Twin studies tend to show that if one identical twin is gay, only about 50% of the time is the other twin gay, which suggests that there is a genetic component, but it is not entirely genetic in all cases. There's probably a spectrum. That's fine. doesn't matter. From a religious perspective, the religious perspective on homosexual activity is the same as the religious perspective on adulterous activity, the religious perspective on premarital sexual activity. The perspective is that you have a biological drive to do X does not mean that you can do X in a moral, non-sinful sense. That is not a judgment of Pete Buttigieg. That has nothing to do with Pete Buttigieg as a human being. And the argument that if I think that homosexual activity is a sin, that somehow I am anti-God is such a bizarre argument. Like people have natural drives to do all those things all the time. Like every man has an evolutionary biological drive. Every straight man has an evolutionary biological drive to impregnate as many women as possible. If I say I don't want you to impregnate as many women as possible, am I now anti-God because God also made that drive? It's a bizarre argument. But the more bizarre argument is the one that first that Buddha Judge is making, which is that Mike Pence is sitting around thinking about him. I guarantee you, Buddha Judge spends more time thinking about what Mike Pence thinks about Buttigieg than Mike Pence spends time thinking about Buttigieg. This is one of the weirder things in our modern American politics. It was interesting. I was on Joe Rogan's show the other day, and Joe and I are friends. And Joe, was, Joe and I were talking about same-sex marriage. And I said, I'm libertarian on this issue. I don't think that the government should be involved at all on same-sex marriage. I don't think the government should be involved in marriage at all, period. I'm a religious person. My religious marriage matters to me. I don't care what the state's standard of marriage is because... Frankly, who the hell's the state to legitimize my marriage or not legitimize my marriage? I don't care. I, I think that the state should be irrelevant in this, which would put me on the same page in terms of policy as most people on the left when it comes to same-sex marriage. I don't think the state should be involved in this stuff. And then Joe started asking about my moral views on homosexual activity. So I told him, and all I could think of during the interview was, why does anyone care? Like, if you care about my moral view, I'm happy to tell you about my moral view. Why is it relevant to your life? I'm not telling Buttigieg what he can and cannot do. I'm not saying the government should do anything to Buttigieg. And the same thing is true of Pence. You think Pence has never met a gay guy? But the left needs to castigate people with whom it disagrees as morally inferior, as bad, as ungodly. I've never heard my Pence say one word about Pete Buttigieg or suggest that Pete Buttigieg is ungodly or unchristian. And that's exactly what I've heard from Pete Buttigieg about a bunch of people on the right who happen to be Christian, about people who happen to be religious and disagree with him about the sinfulness or non-sinfulness of particular activity. It seems to me that Buttigieg and a lot of folks on the left are a lot more judgmental about religious people than religious people are even judge, are judgmental about sin, especially because religious people all know that we all sin. We all know that. And we understand that that sin does not mean that the person who sins is a bad person. I sin all the time. So do you. So does everybody else. But the idea of using my religious views of sin as a way to polarize you from me, as though I'm sitting in judgment on you all the time, is such a deliberate misread of what it means to be a religious human being. All that that can be attributed to is ignorance or malice. That's really all that, that can, I, I have no other answer. And meanwhile, 
There was something that happened over the weekend that I thought was was quite interesting. We'll get to the Israeli election in, in just a second because I think that that is happening today. Uh, it's it's quite fascinating. But I, I want to discuss a comment made by Barack Obama abroad. So Barack Obama has kind of been disowned by the Democratic Party to a certain extent. It's the dirty little secret of the Democratic Party is that they saw Obama as too conciliatory. They saw Obama as too incremental, a lot of Democrats. And so now they are trying to disconnect from the Obama era, which is why you are seeing the socialist left rip into Joe Biden. That's the dirty little secret as to what is happening here. And the reason that is happening is because the far left is recognizing something that many on the mainstream left are not recognizing. And that is that there is a hole at the heart of Western civilization. The far left is trying to fill it with socialism and political rage. The right is, I think, trying to do the correct thing and rebuild social fabric in response to this hole in the heart. Barack Obama doesn't even seem to acknowledge that, that hole exists. Here's Barack Obama talking about Europe in 2019. Europe in 2019, in some ways, has achieved the pinnacle of human well-being. I mean, collectively in Europe right now, on average, you probably see the highest standards of living of any group of people in the history of the planet. Okay, and that is absolutely true. The question is then, why is Europe falling prey to complete political polarization? Why are they falling prey to right-wing governments being elected? In some cases, more authoritarian-leaning governments being elected in Europe. Why is all of this happening? Why are protests springing up? And, and Barack Obama has no answer for this because according to Obama, this should be utopia. Now, the answer on the right is because there's a spiritual hole that government cannot fill. The answer on the left is because you need more government. But this is the reason why Barack Obama is being left behind. It's the reason why the left is seeking additional polarization. As I've said before, in the pursuit of utopia, everybody is either a tool or an obstacle. Obama used to be a tool. Now he's an obstacle. Everybody on the right is an obstacle rather than a tool. Okay, meanwhile, the Israeli election is supposed to be taking place right now, basically. And Israelis are getting ready to go to the polls on Tuesday. So that means that they are, I believe, 10 hours ahead of us. Uh, we are on the West Coast of the United States. That means they're 10 hours ahead of us. So tomorrow morning and late afternoon, our time, uh, the polls open. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. So I haven't covered the Israeli election a lot because I don't tend to cover foreign elections very much because we're Americans. So <laughs> there's that. But it has become a hot button issue in the United States because the left has decided that they must be involved in this election. Now, it is fascinating to me. The same folks on the left who are fighting mad, rightly so, about the Russians getting involved, the Russian government getting involved in the American election didn't seem to mind very much when Barack Obama deliberately involved himself in the Israeli elections. He legitimately did this. He like deployed his own people over to Israel to try and knock off Benjamin Netanyahu, who ironically ended up outliving him, politically speaking. And Netanyahu has been in office for well over a decade at this point. He's, he, I believe he's about to become the longest serving Israeli prime minister in history. And he has gained in the polls in recent weeks. Basically, there were two main parties in Israel. One has been called the Blue and White Party, and it's, a, it's essentially a unity party between a center-right party and kind of a centrist party. And the other is Likud. And the way that the Israeli parliamentary system works is you then have to cobble together a majority of the delegates in Knesset in order to formulate a government. So there are 120 members of Knesset. You need 61 members. None of these parties ever gets close to 60. The biggest parties will have something on the order of 30 or 35 seats in Knesset. That's what Likud, I believe, has now. And then there are a bunch of separate parties who join up in a coalition government. So every government is a coalition government. And they are deciding about Benjamin Netanyahu. He's been hit with a wave of bad press. There were a couple of prosecutions 
uh, that, were, that were initiated against Netanyahu, in my opinion. These were specious prosecutions from what I saw. On our radio show, we had Alan Dershowitz to discuss them. They seem essentially like political hit jobs to me. And now you're seeing the American left fighting mad. They're trying to get rid of Netanyahu. Now you wonder, why exactly is the American left so upset with Netanyahu? And Netanyahu hasn't done anything particularly crazy, right? Netanyahu has defended his country. In fact, he's, he's acted with, I think, far too much restraint with, with regard to Hamas in the Gaza Strip, which is consistently firing missiles into the center of Israel, or at least rockets into the center of Israel, building terror tunnels, shooting its own citizens. And Netanyahu has basically allowed that government to continue operating. If the, if the Israelis wanted to end that government, they could do it legitimately any day. But the left is fighting mad at Netanyahu. Why? Because they want a more conciliatory Israeli government. Now, what the left in the United States does not understand is that when it comes to the Palestinians, there is no more conciliatory government. The, the government of a blue and white party led by Gantz and Lapid, Benny Gantz, a former general in the, in the IDF, and, uh, and Yair Lapid is the son of a far-left guy who's now more moderate. He was an anchor on television for a while, and they formed this unity party. On foreign policy, they're not going to be any different than Netanyahu has been. The only thing that might be a little different is you won't see them cozy up quite as much to Trump. But they are not going to suddenly start cutting deals with the terrorist government in the Gaza Strip or the terrorist government in Judea and Samaria. Nonetheless, you're seeing far-leftists like Beto O'Rourke, who, by the way, is so far-left that he voted against the funding of Israel's Iron Dome. Right, the, the very system that allows Israel to shoot down rockets that are flying over Tel Aviv, Beta O'Rourke voted against funding because he's a full-on Obama bro when it comes to Israel. Here's Beta O'Rourke calling Netanyahu a racist. Be, why? Because because this skateboarding doofus thinks that he knows anything about Israeli politics. The U.S.-Israel relationship is one of the most important relationships that we have on the planet. And that relationship, if it is to be successful, must transcend partisanship in the United States and it must be able to transcend a prime minister who is uh, racist, uh, as he warns about Arabs coming to the polls, who wants to defy any prospect for peace as he threatens to annex the West Bank, uh, and who has sided with a far-right racist party in order to maintain his hold on power. Now, I don't think that Benjamin Netanyahu represents the true will of the Israeli people. Okay, I love this crap from Beto O'Rourke. Netanyahu doesn't represent the true will of the Israeli people. He's been elected a bunch of times. They have a democracy over there. So don't tell me he doesn't represent the true will. You know who doesn't represent the true will of Texans? Beta O'Rourke, who no longer holds an office. So there's that. What a bunch of crap. Also, by the way, when Netanyahu was talking about Arabs coming to the polls, he was specifically talking about Arab parties, which in Israel have called for the explicit end of the state of Israel as a Jewish state. So there's that. But it, it, is, it is amazing. You know, the, the fact that the left is perfectly willing to involve itself in Israeli elections in a way that the American right does not is pretty telling, is pretty telling. Now, listen, so I think Netanyahu, I think Netanyahu is a terrific prime minister. I think overall he's done an excellent job in Israel. If I were an Israeli citizen and if I voted in Israel, then maybe then I would probably vote for Netanyahu over Gantz and Lapid just because I don't know anything about Gantz and Lapid. And I don't think that they have themselves decided what their platform is. I'm an American citizen, and that means that, and, and I care about America because this is my country. Israel is not my country. So that means that maybe the Israelis should decide for themselves whom best to elect, not Beto fricking O'Rourke, a guy whose knowledge of the Middle East is about the same as his knowledge of legitimately any issue, which is to say near minimal. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like. Over the weekend, I was able to take my wife to a movie. Yes, I know. It's like this is, these are these small victories you win when you have small children and your wife is finishing up her residency. We went, we saw Shazam. Uh, and the movie's just delightful. It really is delightful. It's, I, I think, uh, listen, 
as you know, I am a DC over Marvel guy. I think DC is better than Marvel. I think that DC, most of the DC movies that everybody hates are better than most of the Marvel movies that everybody loves. I will continue to defend, despite all of the detractors, Batman v Superman. I will continue to defend that movie. No one can defend Justice League. No rational human being can defend Justice League. But I will continue to defend Batman v Superman. Shazam is just wonderful. It has one of the best comedic sequences in any of these comic book movies ever. But it's clever, and it's, it's a movie with a heart. Zach Levi is, is a real movie star. I mean, he's, he's terrific in this film. And it's, it's just great. The, the, the one who's, who's really terrific is one of the kids, not the kid who plays Billy Batson. For, for those who don't know the Shazam story, basically, it's, it's this ridiculous premise. It's been around since, I think, the 40s, in which a kid basically turns into Superman every time he says the word Shazam. Uh, it's Billy Batson. And so it's basically the movie Big, right? The kid is like a 14-year-old who's suddenly inhabiting the body of the superhero. Here's a little bit of the trailer. You've run from foster homes in six counties. I can take care of myself. When you're 18, give these people a chance. Because that's what they're giving you. This is Billy Batson. Make sure you make him feel at home. They seem nice, but don't buy it. It gets real Game of Thrones around here. Dude. Just messing around. You look at me and you're like, why so dark? You're a disabled foster kid. You've got it all. <laughs> that kid is the best thing in the movie. Uh, and, and the movie really is, it really is fun. It's, it's, and there, there are a bunch of kind of tie-ins to the rest of the DC universe. It's great. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. Red Letter Media has a really good take on it as well, so go check that out too. Okay, other things that I like. So in Hollywood, if you're even remotely right-wing, there's a good chance that you get excised. Uh, Rob Lowe has said some things that are obviously quasi-conservative. He made a joke about Elizabeth Warren, which you are not allowed to do if you're in Hollywood. Also, he made the mistake of mocking the avocado shortage, saying like, it's okay, millennials, you'll survive. And now people are mad at him. But he is correct. He is correct. Here's Rob Lowe making fun of the avocado shortage. There could be an avocado shortage if Trump closes the border. How are Californians going to deal with no avocados? That would be a national tragedy. Yeah, bring your And so we say, well, yeah, what else would you put on your toast? And he said, well, what will the hipsters eat? That's true. Will no, they start? Do you think about that? Are we going to like have Live Aid for the hipsters? No. <laughs> That's really funny. I'm sure he'll get a bunch of crap for it because we're not allowed to make fun of the hipsters or the, or the millennials who are so incredibly woke but don't understand how privileged they are. Okay, time for some quick things that I hate. So the thing that I hate, number one, again, the media coverage with, the, with regard to this Israeli election is ridiculous because, again, the media in the United States, particularly the New York Times, the New York Times is legitimately an anti-Israel newspaper. They have been for a very, very long time. They, they ran an entire 11,000-word piece by an active anti-Israel advocate in the pay of Qatar, a country that stands behind Hamas, and they didn't reveal the guy's preferences. I mean, it's, it's like again, the guy works for a 501c3 that Qatar has donated enormous sums of money to. We talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago. But now the New York Times is trying to m manipulate against Netanyahu by suggesting that Netanyahu is supporting annexation. Isn't Netanyahu supporting annexation of Judea and Samaria? No, what he has talked about is applying sovereignty, sovereignty over Jewish areas of Judea and Samaria. That is, that is simply a reality on the ground. That is what is going to happen, whether you have a left government, a right government, or a center government. If anybody thinks that Efrat is suddenly going to be in a Palestinian state, it's absolute nonsense. Every single prime minister, including Ehud Barak, including Ehud Olmert, has talked about the major Israeli settlements being part of Israeli territory because this is the dirty little secret. Israel, one-fifth of its citizens are Muslim. 
There will be zero Jews living in a Palestinian state because it will be, in fact, you want to talk about a racist apartheid state, that will be the Palestinian state because it is right now a racist apartheid state in which they teach their kids about the murder of Jews on a regular basis. It's truly astonishing. The media continue to claim that it's all about Israelis' greater territorial ambitions. Netanyahu, you will recall in the late 90s, signed the Y River Accords, which, ga- which gave control of a significant chunk of, the, of Judea and Samaria to the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority then ju- used that chunk of territory to launch the Second Intifada in the early part of the 2000s. When, he ta- when Netanyahu talks about annexing Jewish territory, areas in which there are Jewish settlements, that has been part of the deal for a very long time. And as far as just annexing part or all of Judea and Samaria, if you annex it and then you allow self-rule in parts of Judea and Samaria for Palestinians, that is no different than what the United States effectively does with Puerto Rico. In the United States, if you're a Puerto Rican citizen, you're American, but you do not vote in America's national elections. You have self-rule. This is not unprecedented in any way, yet the New York Times is trying to to proclaim that the better solution is presumably the, the continuation of a terror group in control of all of its own borders. That hasn't worked out badly anywhere in the world, obviously. Hey, other things that I hate. So Kim Fox, the, the state's attorney over in, in Chicago, who's now under fire for having let Jesse Smollett off the hook, she appeared at a Rainbow Push Coalition event with Jesse Jackson, who legitimately is one of the worst people of the last half of the 20th century. And, and there, she proclaimed that the reason she's being criticized is, wait for it, because everybody's racist. Efforts that I've had on criminal justice reform that were once celebrated by many in this county that are now being attacked because of one case and one celebrity, I think we have to ask ourselves, what is this really about? Mm-hmm. That when we get in these positions, that somehow goals post change. Somehow, when you do the best and that you put our office on national standards, there are people watching what we're doing in Cook County around criminal justice reform. And yet, and yet. Okay, she's full of it. (laughs) The reason people are upset is because she obviously let someone off for political reasons. And who's racist here? The head of the Chicago PD? Eddie Johnson, the head of the Chicago PD, the superintendent, black guy, he's racist? Or maybe it's the new mayor who's a black lesbian who's also saying that this is a bunch of crap. It's all about racism. What, what an all-purpose excuse that has become. It's just absurd. There are times when there is something happening that is racist. This is not one of those times. Okay, final thing that I hate. So there is this journalistic critic named David Zerwick, and he issued what I thought was one of the dumbest critiques of the Trump administration in recent history on CNN. He suggested that what fascists do is exhaust the media. So Trump is a fascist. Oh, yeah, here it is. He likes to be transgressive because he knows he can drive the civic conversation when he does it. We have to report it. The other thing, Brian, is he drives us to exhaustion. If we quit fact-checking him, if we accept this, he wins. That's the way dictators win. They drive the free press almost to exhaustion with this. Um, No, that's, that's not how dictators win. Dictators win by jailing their opponents and killing their opponents and doing what, for example... Erdogan or Putin have done that. That's what dictators do. How about read a book, you dolt? Uh, this whole Trump is Hitler routine. You can dislike Trump. Trump ain't Hitler. You can call Trump whatever you want. He ain't a dictator. I mean, the guy can barely tie his own shoes inside his administration. This is, this is silliness. But again, I guess that if you want to go this much overboard, you can. You just look like a fool doing so. Okay, we'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours. Plus, 
If you want to watch something a little bit later, I'm on Dave Rubin's show, too, because we are generating hours and hours of content for you folks. Also, go pick up a copy of my national bestseller, The Right Side of History. Go check that out right now. We'll see you here a little bit later today. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, everybody. It's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Everything's going great in America and everyone's unhappy. Could it be we're missing our old friend, Uncle God? And if so... Why isn't anyone talking about it? I'll be talking about it on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 